Okay, good evening, everybody. Uh, this is going to be the second time I attempt to record the same podcast. This morning on the way, I recorded what I thought was a pretty darn good podcast, but somehow uh, my SD card decided not to uh, want to work anymore. And I tried everything, reformatting and this and that, and nothing worked. So. I picked up a new SD card, uh, so hopefully this one will take, and hopefully we got it set right. I even uh, factory reset my little recorder, so hopefully this will work this time. Uh, this last week we had a typhoon come through. Uh, we get quite a few every year. Um, not all of them come very close to us, and some of them just drop a little rain. Some of us. Some of them really hit us fairly hard. This one hit us pretty much straight on. We were a little bit to the uh, left of it, I guess, which is the strong side of a typhoon in this hemisphere, right? The rotation's, I think, the opposite when a, a typhoon is in the southern hemisphere. But in the northern, northern hemisphere, it rotates counterclockwise. And if I'm wrong about that, at least it rotates counterclockwise here in the North Pacific. Uh, so we were on the, uh, the left side of it, which is toward the rotation. And so we got a lot of rain, quite a bit of wind. It didn't hit us straight on. We were on the, the edge of it, I guess. Anyway, my, uh, friend Horacio, uh, his, he, he's a farmer, lives very, very close to me, maybe a five minute drive and his, uh, greenhouses are even closer. He grows tomatoes and other vegetables. His greenhouses were hit and, and took some damage uh, in the in the uh, typhoon. Um, and today I want to talk about uh, storms, right? And and how people tend to prepare for storms or tragedies. Uh, and there there are different kinds of people. Uh, some people uh, really go all out to prepare for the things that life might throw at them. Uh, and so I know that there are people in the States who have built underground concrete bunkers with very thick walls and they are stocked uh, with various per uh, unperishable goods, canned food, uh, bottled water, uh, dried cured meats and things like this, uh, all kinds of dried food that can last a very long time so that if they're ever in some kind of a disaster, anywhere from, uh, you know, war all the way to, a, you know, nuclear war, nuclear disaster, that they can survive underground for a certain number of years uh, without needing to go up to the surface. So there are those people who are crazy about trying to get in front of any disasters they may, uh, that may befall them. And then there are other people, probably more like me, who uh, just kind of depend on their ability to adapt and uh, endure, you know. So if you're like me, you don't really do a whole lot to prepare for uh, disasters that may come your way. You just kind of, you know, you've been through a few and so you, you, you just realize that, you know, you take it step by step and day by day and more or less... You feel like maybe you can get through anything. 
Um, so, you know, as far as storms go, uh, the Pacific is a big place for typhoons. And, of course, the, the Atlantic, uh, around the Gulf Coast of America, for example, and all through the Caribbean, uh, they're often hit by hurricanes as well. Um, in fact, I, I had some friends who I think lived in New Orleans who had to, who had to evacuate before the, the, the most recent uh, hurricane hit this year. Uh, so anyway, my friend's uh, greenhouses were damaged. And one of the interesting things about a greenhouse is that the way his greenhouses are situated, he's got three that I think sit right in a row. Uh, they're fairly big greenhouses. Uh, you know, he's a professional farmer. That's what he does. So he, he said if the, if the wind comes from the north, generally the, the damage is very minimal or nothing. But he said if the wind comes from the south, just because the, the lay of the land, the way the, the land lays, uh, then the damage can be quite a bit. And this time it was quite a bit. Um, he had quite a bit of damage. Uh, so, yeah, there, there are different ways that we try to prepare for the things that life's going to throw at us. And usually we, we think about um, physical things, right? So, you know, say the, we prepare for the loss of a job by saving money, right? As much money as we can. So just in case there is a time where we don't have a paycheck, we'll have a little uh, buffer, right? We'll have some money where we can survive for you know, a certain number of months before we have to get another job. Uh, some of us uh, prepare for sickness uh, in that we try to uh, have a very uh, healthy intake of foods, proteins and vitamins and all kinds of things like this. Uh, and maybe we exercise also to keep our, our body in, in tip tape uh, ship shape tip-top, tip-top condition. I was mixing tip-top and ship-shape. Uh, tip-top condition so that if, if something comes, we will better be able to uh, survive through it, right? Um, whether that's a cold or the flu or COVID or, or even cancer. I think some people think that uh, if, if their body is in better condition, they have a better chance of surviving. And I don't think they're wrong about that. <clears throat> other other types of things uh, that might happen would be, of course, I already mentioned war, uh, but different kinds of floods and earthquakes and hurricanes. And the interesting thing about all of these natural disasters that it, is that if you prepare for one, it may not save you from the other. Right? So I know that in the Philippines and in certain uh, Southeast Asian countries, they tend to build fairly heavy concrete buildings so that if if a hurricane does come or sorry a typh typhoon in this area if a typhoon does come they're able to withstand it right their house won't fly away from the winds and they'll be safe inside whereas in japan they don't really tend to prepare for uh typhoons because typhoon is not the scariest thing that comes to this country uh it's earthquakes right? Earthquakes are the things that they prepare for here. So they tend to uh, have lighter buildings and they put a lot of technology these days into the buildings so that if the ground, ground begins to jump and sway, 
that the houses will not collapse and they've gotten really good at that over the years um, and every generation uh, as some houses seem to get damaged by earthquakes uh, they build them much better than they were before so they're getting better and better at that te technology uh, you know to where my house when when the uh, big earthquake of 2011 came my house was hardly uh, damaged at all I think there was a you know a few a few cracks that may or may not have opened up in the seams of the drywall but other than that really nothing you know the doors and windows open just like they always had uh, really nothing was out of place because of the way we built it uh, and the way we built it the way I had asked the builders to build the, the foundation uh, was uh, down to, to dig the foundation out. So my house is built on a slope. And what a lot of people do, uh, and even in Japan they do this, is when they build a house on a slope, what they do is fill in the land until it's flat. So they'll build a, a retaining wall, and they'll fill in the, fill in the land, land until it's flat, because they really like flat yards. Everybody wants a flat space. And of course a flat space is more usable. There's nothing wrong with a flat space. But when you build a house like this, you, you now have a triangle, right? So imagine you have a sloped land. To make that land uh, flat, you bring in dirt and that new dirt forms a, a triangle of new dirt. Flat on the top, slanting on the bottom, and then it meets the retaining wall. And so your house may sit on firm dirt, dirt that's been there for a long time and that is compacted nicely, uh, and then new dirt, uh, which uh, is less compacted. And in the beginning, that can be fine. You know, you may not notice anything at all. But when the earthquake comes, what happens is that new dirt, even if it's been sitting there 30 or 40 years, believe it or not, that new dirt will compact because there's not a layer of rock and clay like there is on natural dirt. All right, this dirt has been brought in. And so that dirt gets shaken and it compacts down into a smaller thing. And so what happened is the house sitting on solid ground and on unsolid ground, the, the foundation can crack and the house in very bad cases can, can completely collapse. This happened to my father-in-law's house to where the house didn't collapse but the con the, the the concrete foundation did crack uh, and part of the house is now sloping slightly down to the left uh, and what this does is it it creates a lot of weird tensions in the structure of the house uh, and also it takes all of the the perfectly square windows and doors uh, that are on that side of the house anyway, that are, you know, running perpendicular to the length of the house. What it does then is makes all those square windows unsquare. It makes them trapezoids. I think that's the right, right word, trapezoids. So that uh, the, the windows inside the window frames and the doors inside the door frames no longer close flush. They leave little triangles of space because of uh, the, the foundation cracking, uh, and then, you know, part of the house, uh, sagging, I guess the best way to put that. 
Whereas my house, which was dug out of the natural dirt and, and the foundation was put on rock, my house didn't have any problems like that. Um, and we did that on purpose, knowing that we live in a, a country that is prone to earthquakes. Um, in fact, the year we moved to this, to, to Japan, 1995, there was a big earthquake in Kobe, uh, and there was a lot of damage. So, you know, that's always in the back of your mind when you live in Japan. Number one worry is earthquakes. Uh, number two worry is probably typhoons. And and number three might vary depending on where you live. It may be flooding uh, or uh, it may be, um, what's I going to say, even volcanoes, right? They're active volcanoes in Japan. So depending on where you live, you'll probably uh, prepare to um, survive in that area, right? By, and that'll show in the way you built your house or any other building. So Jesus actually talks about preparation for disaster, mostly uh, in Matthew, I believe, um, especially in the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about uh, two things. Uh, one thing he talks about is building your house on rock, right? So the wise man built his house upon the rock, and when the storms came, his house uh, stood firm. It did not get damaged. But the foolish man built his house on sand, uh, and when the storms came, the, the winds beat against the walls, and the house collapsed, right? And so even Jesus uh, uses these metaphors in his life about preparing for the for the storms uh, that life throws at you, right? How do you prepare? Uh, let me think. There's another one. Oh, there's another one. I remembered this morning, and now I'm afraid I'm going to forget it. But um, he talks about preparing for... Ah, yeah, treasures in heaven, right? Uh, Jesus talks about... Um, uh, how to, uh, you know, if you do, if you do good deeds, so that people will see you and they will uh, glorify you, uh, then you have your reward already. But if you do your good deeds in secret, then God will reward will reward you, and. In so doing, you will have treasures in heaven. This idea of saving uh, money, sort of, uh, but but heavenly money, kind of. So Jesus alludes to this idea of uh, treasures in heaven. And so I want to talk about that first, because I think the other one's quite self-explanatory. I think uh, building your life on the solid rock, and the, and the rock is Christ, right? The rock is Jesus. That to build your life um, based on Jesus and His teaching uh, is a way to build a life that that can withstand all of the the disasters and calamities that life may throw at you, uh, either real or metaphorical. Uh, but this idea of treasures in heaven this this is really tricky, right? So it's talking about don't store don't store up for for yourself treasures. Uh, where I think it talks about moth, moth and decay uh, can can basically destroy them, right? But store up yourself treasures in heaven, 
where decay and death uh, and moths, right? Talking about cloth, right? Moths destroy cloth. Cannot get to them, right? And so I think this this idea of storing treasures in heaven uh, has been taken completely out of context and probably taken too literal over the years to the, to the point where I've heard people talk about how they thought that what this meant was that every time we did a good deed, uh, basically Jesus put money in our heavenly bank account, right? So, so that after we die, uh, we're going to get some money for that, uh, right? We're going to get heavenly, heavenly riches for all the good deeds we do. And it's, it, it, you know, it basically is transactional religion. Do something good, God does something good for you. Right? If you do bad, God's going to do bad to you. This idea of transactional religion uh, seems to be what Jesus is alluding to. All right? but, but knowing Jesus and knowing his character, as I hope I do, I have to look at this and say, hey, there's something else that must be going on here. Jesus can't mean uh, that transactional, transactional religion or transactional Christianity is is what he wants us to do and to be about. Um, so, looking at this a little bit deeper, I think what I've discovered here is that there's a little bit of divine accommodation going on. Uh, so, what I mean by that is uh, that that Jesus wants to take us all the way to a better understanding, but we're so far from that understanding, where we are, that he takes a middle step. He just takes us up to the middle step, okay? Now, and what I mean by that is, is that the, the people he was talking to uh, back in the first century, right, uh, in Jerusalem were mostly Jews, were probably all Jews, to tell you the truth. And they believed in transactional religion in the here and now. They believed that if they were rich, it's because they had done good deeds and God had showed them favor. If they were sick or if they were poor, uh, then they believed that they had sinned and that God was punishing them. They believed in transactional religion uh, in the here and now. They really didn't have any concept of an afterlife, right? Uh, a place that we go to after death where we either get our reward or punishment. They didn't have that concept. They believed that everything happened in the here and now in this life. Now, they did believe in some kind of resurrection. Not all of them, but some of them. Excuse me. But uh, how that exactly you know, what's worked out is, is very vague, right? It's a very vague concept in Judaism. So Jesus, knowing that they're, they are not ready to understand uh, everything that he would like to tell them, he tries to take them at least one step closer. And that step closer is that what they do in this life uh, may not be rewarded until the next. Okay, what they do in this life may not be rewarded until the next. Okay, it's not that you won't 
ever get any reward in this life for what you do. I think that does happen sometimes. But I think Jesus is adamant in, in wanting you to realize you should not be seeking reward for what you do, right? Uh, and that is because I think Jesus knew that God, because he is God, uh, that he is all merciful. And I talked about this in last week's podcast about uh, uh, God's justice is merciful and his mercy is just. That there's no, there's no difference between mercy and justice in God's eyes. It is just to be merciful and it is merciful to be just. Uh, and, and so uh, Jesus kind of saw that, that what, what he, where he really wanted to take them was just a step too far for them uh, to go all in one, at one time. And so what he did was took them just a step closer. Uh, and that is to realize that, again, the, we may not be rewarded in, in this life for the good things that we do, right? Uh, and I think what I, I think what he taught his disciples, uh, and and maybe Paul grew into, and then and then you know Jesus Christ in the form of the Holy Spirit, I think, has led us to a place where we we realize that the reward that God gives us is not based on what we do, but based on who He is, right? And this re- reward that we will face uh, in the afterlife and afterlife is kind of not a great way to say it because it's not afterlife it's 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 another life it's a it's it's the better part of this life probably it's connected uh, I think the it's gonna be a you know, now we live in reality, but I think this this is going to be a hyper reality, right? Even more real than this reality. I don't see it as an afterlife, but uh, something that grows out of this life and really blossoms out of this life. If, the, if this life, life is a seed in the ground, uh, then that life is a beautiful blossom uh, that will last forever. You know, that's kind of how I look at it. Um, and so I think Jesus is accommodating uh, the, the position, the, the, you know, where the mentality of the people he was speaking was. And he's trying to get them one step further, uh, but he's not able to, to get them all the way to the destination, uh, which is just putting your trust in Christ, that he will take care of you uh, and, and not putting your trust in your good deeds. I think he would have loved to have take the, taken them all the way, but he alludes to this in other parables. I just realized that, you know, the parable of the uh, the equal wages, right? People come in and work in the morning and they get paid X amount and then people come in right before closing and they get paid the same amount. That, that the wages the master pays is up to the master. He can pay whatever he likes. And his, his, <coughs> excuse me, his decision is to pay everyone the same, right, in this case. Now, there are other parables that seem to look at something different. So, you know, this is something you have to kind of decide for yourself what you think is going on with these parables. But I think there's a lot of divine accommodation in the parables. And I'd really like to get Greg Boyd's uh, 
idea on this, whether or not um, that is Jesus uh, accommodating um, where we were at at a certain time in, 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 in that parable. Because treasures in heaven really just looks like a bunch of greedy people to me. Uh, and it can look like Jesus is, what's the word? Empowering is a wrong word. Uh, condoning, condoning the kind of people who do good deeds only to be recognized, right? <clears throat> All right, so storms in life. I had a friend uh, who just today, uh, Cam, uh, his name's Cam Hartman, and he's a very good friend of mine. He and his wife, Ayami, live just a few minutes from us. They gather with us when we were gathering. Hopefully we'll be gathering again soon. And Anyway, his grandfather died this morning, and he's, he's pretty upset about it. He was very, very close to his grandfather. Uh, did I say grandmother? I meant grandfather. But anyways, grandpa died. Uh, and this is another kind of storm that life throws at you, right? The death of a loved one, or even the sickness of a loved one. Uh, these are things that kind of can can put you off kilter very quickly, right? You you may uh, may not be ready for um, ready for that, right? When it does come, and that's another kind of storm that life can throw at you. Um, and how you deal with it says a lot about who you are, right? It says a lot about who you are. Um, but I guess really we could look at the um, the life of Jesus and look at all the storms that were thrown at him um, and his family, right? So, you know, uh, Matthew said that Jesus was hunted by Herod when he was just a child and then they had to flee to Egypt. That was a storm. Uh Jesus' parents lose track of Jesus at a festival when he's 12 years old. That's another storm, right? Of course, uh, Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days without food or water, right? Or companionship besides, uh, besides the Lord and Satan who shows up. I wouldn't call him a companion, but an adversary. That's another storm, you know? Uh, Jesus uh, being being um, wanted, right? Uh, the Jews wanting to put Jesus to death many times while he was in his ministry were other storms that came. And every time Jesus reacted, right, in a way um, that showed that he had faith in who he was uh, and that he had a job to do and a mission to do that was more important uh, than, than fear of storms, for example. Uh, and so he, he always acted in a way that showed that he was, he was God, right? Um, and then, of course, the ultimate storm that Jesus faced was being betrayed by one of his... Uh, one of his closest disciples, right? One of his disciples, one of his, yeah, I guess an apostle is a very close disciple. 
who betrayed him and then he was arrested and beaten and condemned uh, and then crucified, right? What a storm that was, right? And how, how did he both prepare for that storm because he knew that storm was coming and, and, and how, how was he able to uh, be during the storm and after the storm? Um, because bad things, bad things happen to people everywhere. Bad things happen to Jesus, and bad things happen to us. And we all know those people. We all know those people who just tend to be hunted by storm after storm after storm. If it's not one thing, it's another. It's another, right? And uh, once that's done, there's another thing, right? There are just things that seem to happen to people. Uh, that they seem to be almost storm chasing, if you will, right? Uh, and then there are people that seem to, to, to be spared a lot of the, uh, a lot of the tragedies and the, and the pain and the sorrow of life. There do seem to be people that are spared, right? Now, it doesn't mean that we can't see, uh, it doesn't mean that you know, we see all of the personal storms that people have. There are storms that, of course, are invisible to us. Uh, there are inner struggles um, that people have. And, and oftentimes, somebody who you think uh, has it all in life, uh, they might end up taking their life. You know, things happen. We, people are not all they seem. So I don't, wanna, I don't want to... Um, mistakenly assume uh, that that there are people out there that don't have any tragedy. I think everyone everyone suffers and everyone has pain at one time or another um, for sure uh, if you live you know any length of life at all um, that's surely the case um, but I think one of the one of the good ways that we get through the storms of life right? is to help other people get through their storms. And I would say that if, if you are a person who uh, has, by the grace of God, been able to... That's a wrong way to say that. I don't even believe that. Anyway, uh, if you are somebody who has been relatively untouched, and I think there's a greater burden on you to help those who are in storms, right? Because, because you are relatively uh, free... Uh, and not burdened down by these storms, you you have a unique ability to help others, right? And I think because you have that ability, I think you have a responsibility to help others. And I think, you know, if you are following Jesus, you're going to want to do that, right? Um, and I think I think that's one of the ways that that we prepare for our own own storm, right? the storms that we're going to have, one of the ways that we can prepare for that uh, is to be involved with the storms that other people have to go through, right? To, to be available to help them weather their storms. And in doing so, uh, we prepare for our own storms that will come. And we realize uh, how much help we're going to need when, you know, when those star storms befall us. Uh, we we realize um, just how vulnerable we are and how weak we can be. And therefore, we hopefully we will reach out for help sooner 
uh, as opposed to later. Uh, and I, you know, I think that's 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 not necessarily. Um, it's not a bad thing to realize that that you need help, that you need others, right? Um, there's there's good reason, right, to get help from other people um, because we all need it at some point. Uh, and so if you can be, you know, if you are in a position to help other people, in helping them, I think you help yourself for the storms that may, you know, befall you in the future. Uh, so, man, I'm not sure if I've got a real point for today. I know I had one. Um... Man, I wish I would have not lost that recording. But you know, that's another storm that happened, right? <laughs> it's a little storm. It's a it's a tiny storm. Let's be honest. Uh, it's it's a slight inconvenience. It's a you know, it's a speck of dust that flew in my eye from from a little wind um, compared to what other people have to go through. Um, what do we what do we call what do we say? First world problems. <laughs> My SD card won't work. It's the end of the world. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So Jesus talked about um, being able to prepare for storms to come. But more than that, more than that, uh, there, there are things that are going to hit you that you cannot foresee and that you cannot adequate, adequately prepare for. And what what will be in place in that time is that is that Jesus will be near you, even if you don't feel him, even if you don't see him. You can have faith to know that Jesus is near you, and that he he understands your predicament. He's he's been there before. He's been through things. He understands your pain. Uh, he's sorry for it. And he's there with you. He's there beside you, uh, sharing in your suffering. Uh, and you can have complete confidence that no matter what befalls you, Jesus will always be before you. Right? He will always be before you uh, with help, with aid, uh, with open arms, with love. Uh, and I think, I think if you can, if you can really lean into the presence of Jesus, uh, that he, he always wants to be and actually is ever present in your life, even if you don't, uh, necessarily perceive him with your senses, you can have faith that he's there, right? Um, and that faith, I really feel like, uh, is the best preparation for enduring the storms of life. Um, and I'm glad that my friend Cam, whose grandfather died, he's got good faith. And unfortunately, it looks like he's not going to be able to uh, go to the States um, to, to be with his family during the funeral because of all of the COVID-19 restrictions and and all the stuff that's going on with that. Uh, that is unfortunate. 
and uh, I know that causes him extra pain uh, that he can't be there to comfort his family members um, but he also I think realizes that that in in going all the way to the states and spending the amount of money and taking the time and uh, you know that could um, you know take away from his family here you know that everything has consequences right I'm not saying that's what Cam's thinking in this situation I really don't know the exact reason why he wouldn't be going I am I'm talking about you know when things like that have happened uh, to me um, those are the kinds of things that that I thought about right it's everything is not just black and white there are, there are consequences and, and the things that will happen um, to everybody in those situations right um, everything's not just a simple decision to go or not go right if you go these are going to be the things that you have to deal with and have to live with uh, if you don't go this is what you're going to have to deal with and have to live with right Uh, sorry, I'm having to run in and buy some bread for my wife. She wants me to get a loaf of bread on the way home. So I'm going to wrap this up. Um, yeah, I, I think... I really don't think there's a better way that you can prepare for the calamities that, that will inevitably come your way uh, than your faith in Christ. And I don't mean your faith in the Bible. And I don't mean uh, your faith in whatever religion or church that you belong to. Uh, I think there's a specific, uh, a specific faith in Christ that supersedes the Bible and religion uh, and uh, doctrine and dogma. Uh, to where it's a, a personal thing that you know in your heart. Uh, that no matter what happens, that Christ is with you and he is for you. Whoa. Somebody almost got hit by a car. They're safe. Uh, that he is for you and he is with you. Um, and there could be no one better, right, than Christ to be on your team. And the fact is, he's on everyone's team if they want him to be. Uh, there may be people that don't want to be on his team, uh, but he's on everybody's team. He really is. Uh, and and I think seeing Christ and all the people that do help us get through life, right? There there are there are people that have been dedicated to you, whether they're family members or teachers or friends. Or what have you who have always been there uh, 
and always had your good in mind, right? Uh, and these are the people uh, who Christ is in for you, right? Christ, uh, Christ is the reason that they are so devoted to your well-being. Uh, it couldn't be any other way because the, the spirit of the world, the spirit of Satan, if you will, it's all about taking care of self. It's selfishness. It's, it's self-centeredness, right? The spirit of Christ uh, is the spirit of loving the other. Uh, and I think, I think that's, a, uh, that's a great thing. Uh, so if, if you are facing storms in your life, and I'm sure there are some of you who are, uh, and if you aren't, you probably soon will, uh, I pray that your faith in the Christ uh, will will serve you well, um, and I pray also that you will reach out for help, and that you will allow Christ to shine through others uh, for your benefit. And if you are witnessing the storms that that people around you are are facing. Or are enduring uh, that you will uh, that you will be Christ for them that you will step forward and you will um, do whatever you can to help alleviate their suffering right all right thanks guys for listening and uh, yep hopefully this podcast will work thanks a lot bye bye <laughs>